The world we live in is an amazing one, full of passion, wonderment, and of course, fine wine. This is the story of one man's journey to fully understand and appreciate that world. So kick the tires and light the fires. It's time to ride between the wines. It's Burgundian in style. Just a whisper of cherry. Very nice legs. This is so perfectly balanced. Such an old world style. Is this laced with tobacco? A total fruit bomb. I say, say, Ponzi! <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Ride Between the Wines. This is your host, Mike Wineguy. And today, for this very special episode, I'm joined by an old friend, and he's actually one of the first people to get me into the world of wine. In this episode, I'm on a little road trip with Steve Cook, owner of Saluda's Restaurant uh, in the beautiful Five Points, Columbia, South Carolina. So please ride along with us as we discuss the world of wine, the world of restaurants, and of course, the world of Steve. So if you're ready, let's ride. Anyways, okay, this is uh, uh, this is podcast again. Uh, so initially, um, we recorded this, and it went amazing, and you're never going to hear it. It goes down as probably would have been the best podcast of all time. But uh, I'm here with Steve Cook, and we recorded on the way to Greenville to go to the amazing BMW driving experience, which I will go ahead and plug and say, if you ever have the opportunity to do this, you should do it. We just spent the last four hours, I guess, driving around on courses and cars that cost more than my house and uh, then we got in the car and let the professionals do it and it was amazing but we're going to record the podcast again so anyways I'll introduce again this is Steve Cook who is the owner of Saluda's Restaurant and we will probably tell the exact same stories we just told um, but I uh, maybe some new ones but I'll definitely go ahead and say that I first met Steve Steve say hello hello <laughs> I first met Steve uh, years ago when I was a server at Harper's Restaurant and he was a manager at Harper's Restaurant. Uh, and uh, since then, I guess we've crossed each other's paths forever, but he's owned Salutas for 12, 12 years. 12 almost years. 2006. And if hopefully at some point my podcast will go well beyond the bounds of Columbia. So if you're outside of Columbia, South Carolina, Please uh, stop by Saluda's whenever you come in. It is definitely, I'm just saying because Steve's in the car, but it's definitely in the tip of my tongue whenever somebody says, if somebody says, what's your favorite restaurant in Columbia? There's uh, there's a billion different amazing restaurants, but it's really you and You Tara. have to say that because you have a lot of restaurants as customers. I That's can true. say as, that there's no good restaurants except for Saluda's. Yeah, and I was I was totally kidding. Obviously, oh. <laughs> I love Tara. I think I think there, and I won't name anybody because I'll leave somebody out. But yeah. there's at least now about ten restaurants that are you know really. I mean, you know, it's as good as anywhere anywhere you're gonna go. Uh, so uh, let's start all over again and tell me about how you got into the business and yeah, yeah. So uh, I started as a server in high school and uh, was making I don't know bucks a night cash and that was probably the equivalent now of a billion dollars uh, I was the richest person <laughs> in 12th grade um, but yeah I, I enjoyed it, it was you know I enjoyed, enjoyed interacting with people enjoyed like you know I was an Italian restaurant the food the wine and when I turned 21 I got a job at Saluda's uh, when I, I was in, at USC in college and got a job at 
uh, Saluda's where my roommate was working, and it was just my first sort of foray into fine dining, and obviously got you know kind of hooked at it. And, uh, I was in college to be a I wanted to be a, a stockbroker. I had an internship with Merrill Lynch. And that's what I wanted to do with my life, and just sort of uh, you know I, I kind of fell into to the restaurant business and really enjoyed all the aspects of it. And worked at Saluda's for a while, bought in um, with the old owner, um, and kind of was a minority partner, and then left due to some differences in uh, opinion on how to run the restaurant. If anybody went to Saluda's between 2000 and, what, 2003 to 2006, you probably know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, bought the restaurant from him in 2006 when he kind of hit some, some difficulties. And, um, I, you know, I, I, I would tell anybody that tries to start or buy a restaurant, uh, I, I was I was incredibly naive and, and sort of lucky, honestly. I mean, I don't have half a million dollars in the bank, did not have half a million dollars in the bank to write a check for, for, for a fine dining restaurant or start one. I just was very fortunate, was in the right place at the right time, and just really um, kind of knew where all the bodies were buried and knew how to, 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 to make it work. And, and we opened it in August 2006. We, we took over and... Did you did you close and reopen it all? No, we didn't. No, we took over on August 1st. We, we signed the lease that night. And I mean, it was a huge risk for us. I, I was My wife was pregnant with our first child. I left a job at Harper's where we met, dropped our insurance. Well, didn't at the time, I didn't even think about that. Um, but, you know, we looked, we did not have insurance, and I was pregnant. So, of course, you know, that cost us about $20,000. Um, so it was a huge risk. My wife is, you know, I can't say enough about how she's been with me every sort of step of the way. Because it is a scary, you know, situation. I think that's probably why most people do not open their own business. Because it is scary. There's nobody, there's no sort of safety net there. But we've been fortunate. Uh, you know, things have been, you know, they get better every single year, which is about all that I can hope for. And, uh, you know, this year will be our best year we've ever had. Last year was the best year before that. As I speak today, Monday, May, what is it, the 13th? 13th, yeah off our best weekend ever so yeah things are trending in the right direction and have been for a long time so how, how many years would you say it took you to hit your stride five or six and i'll tell you it's all about the people and this is probably whether you own a restaurant or a hardware store or a widget factory you know as an owner unless you're a, a business where the owner can do everything which obviously a restaurant is not you have to depend on good people that you employ and you know right our, our chef i've been fortunate enough to have a a few chefs, all great. Josh is our chef now, and, and he's just phenomenal. And Andrew, our uh, front of the house manager, general manager, he just makes my life so much easier. I'm riding in a car with you, uh, and I have zero worries that the restaurant is absolutely perfect right now. You hear and that, Andrew? That's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, oh, I, I feel confident that every single member of our staff will listen to this. So you'll get at least you know 30 downloads or so. It's all so they can make fun of me for whatever I say about this. So. Well, uh, you know, it's fun. So you, you, uh, you had texted me or told me this the other day, but uh, I was just being a smart-ass talking to Jessica the other day at your restaurant. I was walking out, and I said, oh, what, how did I say it? I said, oh, you know, Steve's going to be in the podcast with me, right? And she go, she said something snarky because that's what Jessica does. And uh, I said, yeah, Steve's going to be the least famous person to ever be on my podcast. And I was very offended by that. <laughs> he was, Steve was very offended. How dare you, the next time I walked in, how dare you think that I'm the least famous person? 
but but you're not at all. Either. I'm certainly not the best looking person that's been on your podcast. That is, yeah, that's absolutely true. But and I may not have my name on wine bottles, you know. Yeah, but, that's my uh, name. I'm 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 uh, famous in certain uh, certain segments of the population. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And uh, and we'll I hear see. this isn't your first podcast. This is not my first podcast. No, I've done I've done I've done several podcasts, and uh, I love the medium. I've listened to all of yours so far. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to be uh, glad to be a part of it. Well, I'm very happy to have you. This is a, this is a fun change of pace for me. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about wine and Steve Cook? Sure. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, owning a, a fine dining restaurant, the wine list is a, a huge part of that. And uh, you know, it's we have about 320 or so wines on the list right now. And so that's a you know, I guess I function as the sommelier or the wine director or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I, I, you know, I taste every single thing that makes its way on the list and, um, you know, it's part of my job that it's probably the funnest part of my job. I, I don't, that's not necessarily true, but I really, really enjoy it. I could easily turn this over to somebody, um, but I, you know, I, I, I really, it's the only thing I haven't turned over. I, Drew handles everything with the bar, but I still do the wine list and I just you know, enjoy every part of it, you know, and I'm a big wine drinker. Um, probably too much so I'm glad that we did with that last podcast yeah. had a little bit too much about how much <laughs> how we much might drink it. but um, let's just say that we taste a lot of wines some of that yeah well yeah uh, on the last podcast uh, we were talking about it and I mentioned that I recently finally uh, decided to go to a big boy doctor and I had to fill out the paperwork before I walked in to meet my new doctor who will hopefully be my general practitioner for anything that I need going forward you got to that notorious question at the bottom, which was, how many drinks do you have a week? And I checked the highest category, just because I did the basic math, and it really, you know what, it's, it, I think it broke down to like three or four drinks a day, but when you do it for the week, it's 30 plus drinks a week, which doesn't really seem like that much, but. Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably, I would imagine, you're like, oh yeah, 30 to 40, that's not a big deal. Right. When you, well, I mean, when you think a bottle of wine is four to five glasses depending on what, what you're pouring I don't I mean hell I'll come home some days and Sheila's finished the first bottle before I get home from work hey baby uh, but yeah well um, so uh, your mindset on how you build a wine list let's talk about that a little bit yeah so uh, I mean I, I, I if somebody gave me a hundred thousand dollars right now and said but this is only gonna be used on wine and put it on your wine list it, it literally still would not be enough the wine list is like almost Perfect wine list is almost sort of unattainable, I think. And I mean, you know, I've been in you know, a place like John George in New York where it's just like, you know, a, a, literally a, a textbook. And, you know, I'm sure they have some wines that they'd love to put on there. So no matter what you have, somebody's going to come in and say, you don't have enough uh, rosé on the list. And it's like, you know, calm down, okay? You know, I've got five rosés. Just order one and you'll be fine. But, uh, you know, I, I, I've, our particular focus is American Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Cabernet. You know, and, and obviously you need to hit some of the you know, blue blood wine growing regions like Bordeaux and Burgundy and, and Italy. I mean, you could literally have an Italian-only wine list, and it would be just fine. You know, like you could hit right. all the varietals Every single thing, yeah. and, and, and just be fine. So, so at a certain point, you have to make decisions on what you want to put on the list and frankly the list is me you know the list is what I drink and uh, for the most part I mean I don't drink a lot of you know 
some of the, the whites and the sweet wines that we have on there that, that's, you know, hit certain people's palates. I'm not necessarily what I drink every day, but I've tasted every single thing on the list. And um, it, it's, it's stuff that I think fits well with our food and fits well with the kind of restaurant that we are. And, um, you know, I, I could put 15 Gruner Veltliners on there and a bunch of wine nerds would, would think it was radical, but um, nobody's going to buy it. And nobody cares about Gruner Veltliner. I'm sorry to break it to people. Um, I'm sure that you don't like to hear that because you sell Gruner Veltliner. Oh. Last, last, last time we did this, I was, I was, I was pretty hard on Rosé. I just, <laughs> yep. I, just uh, I think it's a hit the official point where Rosé is overrated. So, Would you not agree with that? I yeah, I definitely think Rosé. It was I. I think what you said. Uh, we're going to continue to reference the first podcast because we just nobody knows this, what we're talking yeah, about. It's, we're insane. Yeah, it's going to be uh, ridiculous. But yeah, yeah, Rosés are uh, they're they're really interesting things. So I can remember um, back when I was still working at the restaurant and kind of doing Harper's wine list. Uh, they. Uh, I tried so many different times to put rosé on the list, like a nice dry rosé, because I like dry rosé back Sure. Um, it was actually, uh, it was um, Lee uh, Talmadge over at Hampton Street. Sure. Was, uh, great wine list. He, a great wine list. And he would come in, him and Michelle, and they would talk about rosés. Try a rosé, put a rosé on. And every time I'd put a rosé on and I would throw away every bottle in the case because you open it up for one glass. Because the, the mindset was was way off on it. Pink, pink was cheap. Pink is gross and everybody had white Zinfandel. Absolutely. You know, that's something that I don't see anymore. No, There's no more white Zinfandel. I mean, I don't know if anybody drinks it anymore. No, it's, uh, I, I still sell it at, uh, well, it sounds funny. Country clubs, I sell a little bit of and then, old um, ladies. Old, I was going to say all older, you'd be amazed how much wine gets drank at retirement communities. That was, that's oh. one area that I had no idea was such. They fly they do. They they actually do more than you would think in retirement communities. Besides just drink wine, did you know that retirement communities are huge with STDs? Did you know that? I that is a fact. Did not know that. There's lots of sex at retirement homes. It's I don't, pretty gross, but you know what? For them. What are they gonna do? Yeah. You know. So anyway, cut that out if you. No, that's if there's uh, any old ladies out there in retirement homes and you think I'm calling you promiscuous, I mean, you're welcome. Yeah, drink <laughs> some white zen and get it on. Uh, that's why no cra- I, I, that's why I don't like to serve anything that's not of a certain quality at the restaurant, even if we can make a lot of money off of it, because I don't want people drinking, you know, crappy stuff. At the restaurant. Well, I don't think there's, but like you said, outside of stuff that doesn't fit your palate, but uh, I feel like every wine in your restaurant, you'd be happy to sit down have friends and order a bottle of it. Sure. Yeah. Except Moscato. That's what I'm saying. Things that don't fit your palate. Moscato. My wife drinks a ton of Moscato, so that's fine with me. People talk to me all the time. They're like, well, your wife doesn't really drink a lot of red- reds. Why don't you get her into it? I'm like, dude, I have way too large of a wine habit myself to get my wife into drinking $100 cabs with me. So yeah, just enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. She's gotten into some, uh, some Chardonnay stuff. She loves Schaefer Chardonnay. Um, so... I went from $12 a bottle of Moscato to $45 a bottle of Chardonnay, so I'm trending in the wrong direction that way. I don't know, sir. And then when we go to tastings, like we're in Napa, I get twice as much of everything because she smells, she tastes, and then she dumps it into my glass. And so, you know, by the end of the tasting, I've had twice as much as everybody else. So I guess that works for me pretty good right now. I'm not going to change it. What are your, uh, so, uh, what are your thoughts on dessert wines? 
Um, you know, I mean, I certainly appreciate it. Uh, I don't, I, you know, I've got some killer port, like 20-year-old ports, 30-year-old ports in the restaurant. I've had them on the list for about five years. I've never sold one. Yeah. People just, you know, I, we sell port by the glass and, you know, a little bit of salt turn stuff, but it's almost like it needs to be paired with a dessert and, and then you can kind of get people to accept both. But it's a very, very small, in my experience, my restaurant, it's a very, very small subset of your customer base. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it takes, it's almost like you tell people that they don't want to drink sweet all, for all their other wine, but in dessert, we're going to drink sweet. And so I enjoy, I mean, I, you know, I've had some sauternes, some ice wines, things like that that have blown my mind. They're just delicious, but I don't drink them on a regular basis. And, right. uh, I appreciate it. I'll taste it. If you order, if we're at a dinner and you order some, I'm happy to partake. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish my bottle of Cab or maybe my Brunello and I'm going to have some Creme Brulee and I'm, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Dinner. Yeah, in the same way. I'll, I'll, I would enjoy it if somebody ordered it. And I'll do it if it's a group of people around. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I'll, I'll I think if I'm having anything with people. Yeah, yeah I mean, exactly. Yeah. But I'm going to invite me with, uh, generally with a cup of coffee. I'm a cup of coffee guy. You like grappa? Nobody likes grappa. I don't think I... Is that even a real thing? I thought it was just something that people say to weed <laughs> out people that don't know. Um, I, 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 after, you know, I'll usually have a... If I go out to dinner, I'm going to sit down. And nowadays, it used to be you had to really go to a really nice or cutting-edge restaurant to get a cocktail list that was worth a crap. Uh-huh. And um, now everybody's got a cocktail list. Some of them are terrible, but that's fine. And, you know, you go to a... a restaurant now and you have a good cocktail list. I always get a cocktail to start off with while I peruse the wine list. Usually order a bottle because, you know, just by definition, very few exceptions, most wine by the glass programs are not going to be as strong as what I want to drink when I'm, I don't get a chance to go out to dinner that often. It's how I make all of my money. So I don't spend, you know, I kind of, I kind of do restaurants, you know, first class. I'm not going to go in there and try to find the bargain basement, $35 oh, yeah. wine. So I peruse the wine list with my cocktail, order a Glass of wine, a bottle of wine, drink it. Maybe take some home with my ice, not drinking it. And then with dinner, after dinner, I might hit a bourbon. You know, I used to drink scotch, but I think I only did that because I thought it was cool. Um, <laughs> I, I like scotch, but I'm pretty sure I was just trying to trying to be, you know. Yeah, I'll take. I remember on an airplane flight with my sister one time. I was 23, and I ordered Doers on the rocks. My sister was like, what the hell is wrong with you? And I, and I was like, what? It's just, you know, scotch on the rocks. And in retrospect, man, what a loser um, <laughs> to order scotch. I mean, do her, I mean, you know. Anyway, but bourbon, nice small batch bourbon or something after a meal, it's, that's a good way to finish for me. That's, that's my bottle. And, and bur- bourbon's another thing that has, even though I just said I drink it after, so overrated now. I mean, <laughs> oh my God. Like, it's almost like people try so hard to, you know, like, I got a, a couple friends I play golf with, and they're like, man, whenever you get Pappy Van Winkle, let me know, I'll buy it from you. I'm like, well, I'm just going to sell at the restaurant for, you know, $25 a shot, and, you know, make, you know, yeah. oh, I'll, I'll buy it for $500. I'm like, why? What's yeah. wrong with you? I mean, it's, they just have a cool name. And well, I, I think they're kind of, um, I, I don't like bourbon at all, really, so yeah. it's, it's a bad, um, but I feel like it's a little bit of a McRib factor. You know, it's McRib. a, you know, you know how the McRib is like, 
Everybody always wants to have the McRib because you can only get a little bit of it. Like it's a. I, I feel like they play the supply and demand game really well. I could be full of shit because I don't. I, I, I got to be honest with you. I, I didn't know people actually ate McRibs. People love McRibs. Oh, like this oh, is a, this is the thing. Like it's news to me. There, I, I I can't swear to this, but I would assume that there's a McRib app. And whenever somebody notices there's a McRib place serving it, you can click and everybody can go, oh shit, there's McRib here. Do you play the McDonald's Monopoly game? I I don't. Do you? <laughs> no, of oh. course not. <laughs> I just was curious. Again, I thought McRib was just something that, I thought it was McDonald's like doing a social media joke, but okay. You okay. Say, I mean, and I'm pretty sure that, they, what part of the, the pig is the McRib from exactly? Yeah, so I, uh, my beginning career in the restaurant industry was not as a server at a nice Italian restaurant. I started at uh, Dairy Queen, it was a fast food restaurant nice. in Sumter, and then I moved to McDonald's, which is where I worked my first couple of years of college, maybe. Um, and so the McRib is a real thing, and I, do, I assume it's just, I mean, it can't be worse than a hot dog, it's pieces of pork, I'm sure. Mashed but, into a mold. But that's the funniest part, it's in a mold, like it comes out looking like like a, a Fred Flintstone rib or something, you know? And, uh, well, yeah. you know, I will say this, and I, you know, in the restaurant business, I mean, you know, my place is far removed from McDonald's, from McDonald's, but man, there is every restaurant, every business should strive for consistency. Yeah. And to have 20,000 stores or whatever the hell it is, I mean, Starbucks is the same way. The fact that you can order one in Columbia, South Carolina, and then go to Phoenix, Arizona, and it's the same yeah. thing. Unbelievable, um, and, and you know, honestly, a testament to like, you know, I mean, that's that's an organizational level I can't imagine. I see a lot of restaurants try to go from one store to three stores or two stores to seven stores, and it falls apart, you know. And, and it's because a lot of like, a lot of times it's, it's the institutional knowledge of one or two people, right? That you just can't replicate. And uh, yeah, I don't think we should spend a lot of time on a wine podcast talking about McDonald's. Right? But yeah. We're already elbow deep. We're there, yeah. Yeah, it is an amazing. Yeah, when you're and when you're actually out there in Napa, Sonoma, whatever, you start to realize that, oh, this is just a farm. Yeah, they're just yeah, it's yeah. just a farm, and then after harvest, it becomes almost a chemistry experiment, you know, or, or you know, yeah, it's it's just. But when you're out there, I think that's one of the reasons why you know we talk about how beautiful everywhere, every wine growing region is just such a beautiful place, whether it's Bordeaux or Champagne or Sonoma or Napa or Oregon or Lambeth Valley. Uh, and I, maybe that is it, that it's just this beautiful, unspoiled nature uh, that, that you know, you're, you're getting such a, such a wonderful sort of product from. It's a lot better than corn. Even though I like I like wine better. Yeah, I don't know that I know any great stories about corn. Uh, I've got a few, but they're not really appropriate for uh, this podcast, probably. Are they too corny? Oh, yeah. That was yeah. Good. I didn't mean to set you up. Uh, so what's uh, what's next, uh, wine region, what's for vacation? I want to do Willamette. I've never been. I just keep getting sucked back into Napa. It's like a black hole. Every time I go, like, we're planning a vacation. Last year, and, like, you know, everybody... I almost feel like I'm spreading the gospel or something. People are like, oh, we could go here. I'm like, you know, we could always go to Napa. And, 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 and it's this weird thing that, like, sucks everybody in. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, we should do that. I think everybody has in their head what, it, what it's going to be like. And it's just such a, you know, you know, almost idyllic place. 
And so I, I want to share it with them. I take a lot of my friends and I'm like, yes, you should. I'll tell you exactly where we're going to go and you're going to love every second of it. Um, and, you know, I've, I've done that with several groups. And actually, you know, I went with, with some folks from, from RDC the first trip I went out there. And they did that for me. And it was, you know, I, I, so now it seems like every trip, I, you know, I did it with my wife. And now I did it with a, another couple of our friends. I've done it with larger groups. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to be able to show somebody. It's the kind of thing that sticks with you forever, especially if you're a wine drinker. Because now you know, oh, this is from Oakville. I know where Oakville is. Right. It's from Stagsley. Oh, that's they're from the end of the mountain kind of area. So, anyway. What are, uh, since you've taken several groups out there, what are some rookie mistakes? Oh, man. Um, getting shit-faced would probably be the biggest <laughs> one. That's a huge mistake. Yeah. Um, I, I don't understand. And I think a lot of people don't drink wine as regularly as like you and I maybe. Where, you know, it's like you can't drink wine like you drink beer where it's like I'm just going to chug this glass because it's in front of me like then, then your rest of your day you know I've gone to places where you have a 3 o'clock appointment and some people can barely like, they're not even they're interested. not ready for it they're, yeah, they're yeah. just like I'm done with this I just want to drink and steer you know off of the hills um, that would be one I think trying to pack too many winery visits in is another one and for God's sake please don't get on one of those freaking wine buses um, they pull up Everybody in the winery hates you. Um, seriously, I don't care. You'll have winery people come on here and tell you that's not the case. They're lying. Uh, I've been in there when it's happened. Um, don't get on a wine bus. Uh, what else? What, uh, I'm trying to think. Is, is it the wine bus the same thing as the wine train? Sure. Yeah. Giant groups of people that just you know come in. It's like everybody. You know, I guess it's, it's probably the same for any large giant group of people walking into any hospitality establishment. Right. Just get out there and explore. You know, when I first started going, it was tough to get around. Obviously, you, by definition, you don't want to drink and drive. And if you're visiting wineries, you're drinking. But Uber's everywhere, man. You don't have to worry about it. And you can get, you know, you can go from place to place. And there are drivers. You know, we've done that experience before. And, you know, I, I just, I, I think packing too much into one day is, is a big problem. Because that's that's where people get rushed. And you really just want to enjoy. What do you think? Two days? Three a day is okay, but two a day is probably optimal. You know, I like to do something in the morning, like 10 o'clock, then have a nice lunch, and then do one in the afternoon. And then that, you know, by that point, you're kind of satiated. You might hit something, like, casual as you're going to and from. Right. But I certainly don't want to make an appointment in more than, like, two places. Yeah. Is the, uh, is the getting wasted problem? Because I've noticed a lot of people who aren't in the trade have problems with spitting. Do your, do your friends have problems spitting? Nobody spits. Yeah. I don't think people can understand it. They think I'm a weirdo. And, um, you know, I, 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 how are you supposed to drink or taste a lot if you are, you can't consume every sip? You know, I, I, I was in Schaefer last time I was out there. And Schaefer's one of my favorite wineries. And I was spitting the Hillside Select, which is like, Very you know, I don't know, $200, $300 a bottle. And everybody's like looking at me like I'm insane. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, just deal with it. Yeah. It's fine. I can taste it. Uh, the, the, I guess the end result or the important part about a wine like Schaefer Hillside Select or you know any uh, one of the best wines in the world, the end result is not the, what the alcohol does to you. Right. Mad Dog can get you drunk. Right. It's about the flavors and the, 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 the flavor profiles and the taste and the finish and all that. And you can get all that without swallowing. And, yeah, uh, 
you know, don't get me wrong, I swallowed quite a bit of wine. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I spit uh, at almost all those tastings because then I'm, uh, when I drink wine, I almost want to sit down and really get into it, have a glass and just, not just power through a tasting. We do tastings all the time. And right. I just, I'll go through and spit everything and move along and it kind of helps me. I really think I taste better when I spit. I don't know, maybe that's counterintuitive to some people, but I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. Nice pothole there. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to come across. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I, I, I just don't think, I mean, we, same thing as you, but I mean, whatever we do, our, our big sales meetings on Fridays, we have to taste so much after. And I have it seen some of y'all's reps after those sales meetings. Not RMDC, I mean other Thank companies. <laughs> and they are hammered. And I you know, I think that's probably sort of the new the newer people who probably don't are less well, experienced. So, um, I told this story before, but I'm gonna tell it again. My my very first so when you when you spit, if you have a beard, if spitting is awkward in general, but if you have a beard and you don't know how to spit, it covers your face and it drips and it's very embarrassing. Uh, so when I first started with my uh, my job before this um, was at Breakthrough, great, great company also, and um, during one of our Friday sales meetings, the first one I've ever been to, you chased, I don't know, let's say 200 wines because every supplier comes in, they want to show you six or seven of their new products. You go round the tables uh, chasing stuff and I just thought, I've been drinking my whole life. I'm a big guy. I don't spit. I'm just gonna enjoy a little sip of everything. And uh, and for my very last person who was tasting with me, I uh, did not realize it, but I was thoroughly buzzed, and I'm very surprised that I didn't actually get fired afterwards. Uh, but he was. I was kind of in a, a fog. It was a guy named Rob Nirenberg. He still he works in the liquor side now. Nice guy. But I sort of hear him yelling at me, and it's sort of like when everything's daisy, and then all of a sudden it gets very clear. And it got very clear with the last yell, and he said, hey, I'm not gonna give any more wine till you finish what you got in your glass, or pour out what's in your glass. And like, I had my hand up waiting for more wine, and I looked down and like, oh, this is so embarrassing. And that's where I was, and obviously after that, I never, and I'll tell you what's, what's funny is that the next GSM, I spit everything going forward. And the amount of wine when you do a big wine tasting, if you actually look at how much you're spitting, like it looks like it's an ounce at a time, but when you go through, I don't know, 50 glasses of wine, it's pint glass after pint glass that you're pouring in the bucket that you spit out of wine. It's a, yeah, I, I definitely spit. I, I never feel bad about that at all. Yeah, I think that people probably look at people that spit and think, oh, that's weird. Where I think people that are actually in the wine business realize like, no, that's, that person knows what the hell they're talking about, what they're, what they're doing. Yeah. Don't spit in restaurants, though. <laughs> That's not a good idea. I don't. I don't know that I've ever done that. That would be embarrassing. But I do everything else, though. I uh, I, I have this horrible, extremely pretentious-looking habit because I'm just so used to swirling. So I'll swirl sparkling water. I'll go when it gets into my mouth when I'm not thinking about it. Like that immediately happens every single time, just because I'm so in the habit of when there's something in my glass, it's going to be wild. Don't don't do that either. No, that's, that's, that's super pretentious. Don't swish around I your water. Swish around my water. Like you do that with like... You, you know what else I do? We were... I was in um, uh, Italy last year with some RNDC people and I got called out on something by one of them that I had no idea that I do. I, uh, I smell everything. 
and it's not just wine. So you get a wine, the glass comes up, immediately you're smelling it because that's enjoying it. Um, but uh, I apparently will, the second food comes out to me, I'll waft it towards it to me and I'll smell the same it. Way. And then I'll take, uh, cut off my bite, and with, I, I hope I don't do every single bite, but I smell whatever it is to smell it before I eat it. And apparently that's a, a super weird thing to do. It's, I mean, it's it's weird for people that, you know, maybe I, I, I do the same thing. And, and you know, I, I don't know what the science behind it is or whatever, but, you know, you taste with your nose as much as with your mouth, right? So, like, people probably don't really even notice that they do that. But, you know, when you, that's why, you know, when ribs come out to your table that are fresh out, it's like you just smell that yeah, and it makes you amazing, hungry, right? Yeah. Well, I, I do the same thing, especially if it's, I mean, I'm probably not going to do that to a club sandwich, you know? <laughs> but uh, certainly if I'm in like a really nice restaurant and it's a nice composed dish, exactly. I want to smell every component of it and, you know, it's, because all that stuff matters. And I mean, look, there's plenty of people probably that go to the French Laundry and just chug down their food like they're <laughs> at a, a, a Shoney's Buffet. But, and that's fun, whatever, you know, you pay for it, do what you want. But yeah, I'm the same way. I, I kind of, I want to smell it, get close to it, you know, because you pick up stuff that you don't if you just throw it right in your mouth, I think. Yeah. Well, good. That makes me feel better. If you hear me, Reeves Rutledge, I'm talking about you. Um, he's actually the, the guy who does the voice uh, narrative at the beginning, if you've heard it, the... Yeah, like the uh, wine guy, blah, 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 the over-the-top stuff. Never, I have yeah, that, that's Reeves. Thank you, Reeves. Um, uh, restaurant. Let's talk about a restaurant a little bit. Okay. Uh, so I uh, um, worked in the restaurant industry for a very long time, obviously, and that's where I met you. And then after that, you uh, opened Saludas or took over Saludas, and I stayed at the restaurant. Um, what is your, I know your favorite parts of the restaurant. What are your least favorite parts of owning a restaurant? Huh, least favorite part. Um, you know, nothing really sticks out. That sounds crazy, but like it really, I mean, the least favorite part, I guess would be, uh, that's a good question because I don't have an answer for you. Um, I, there's nothing really that sticks out that, I mean, I guess if I was being picky, I would say that, you know, you'd prefer, all right, it's, I guess it's the fact that 24 hours a day anything can happen, right? But this is no different than if I owned an insurance company or a widget factory, right? right. If you own your own business, you're kind of always something can happen. Um, but, you know, I guess it would be the fact that there is no 9 to 5. Nobody, it's, it's not like, all right, day's over, I'm out of here. And, you know, and I'm not in the restaurant every night. And, and, I'm, and I have great people that take care of that stuff for me. But there's always the potential for something to happen. There's always things that pop up, and you know I'm not so sure it's different than any other any other industry or business. And you know, I, I always hear the statistic thrown around that is probably completely made up. People like to quote it: "Oh, 90% of restaurants fail within the first three years." Definitely heard that. Okay, well, that cannot possibly be true. And also, there's a lot of idiots in the restaurant business, and just like there's a lot of idiots in the retail business and the farming community, whatever. I'm sure and. You know, I think that a lot of places, I think we've all had the experience of going to a new restaurant or, you know, even a restaurant's been around for a while and being like, what in the hell are these people doing? They don't have a clue. And, you know, places in touristy areas tend to survive because they just literally people come and they don't ever have to depend on repeat business. Right, yeah, they're going to be regardless, yeah. But I I think that, um, you know, every business is really at the end of the day about the people that run it and work for it. And, you know, I would be nothing without great people like our chef Josh Rogerson 
Andrew Thompson, our general manager. You know, I have been through, obviously those guys haven't been with me for 12 years, so we've been through the ups and downs of having a, a, a person that's not as good as the guys that I have right now. And that, I, I guess that would be, it's not the hardest part of the thing I don't like, but you know, if Andrew leaves tomorrow, I'm there seven nights a week all of a sudden until right. I get somebody else. Now, you know, if, if my, you know, the restaurant will go on, right? It's like one person makes it, if you know. But it really is just like every other body, everybody else's business. It's about the people. Because if you don't have good people, you're not going to have a good product. And that's restaurants, hotels, and like, you know, the BMW factory. You know, like, you can have the best system, the best plan, the best menu. If you don't have good people, that's not going to be any good. We're going to take a quick break uh, in between the podcast here to go ahead and do a segment, which I usually save for the end of the podcast, where I call somebody seemingly random from the wine world or not wine world and ask them five questions. Uh, in this segment, I called Allison Frickstel. She is, although unbeknownst to her, a part of the inspiration for me actually starting this podcast, but she's the winemaker for Baca Wines and the associate winemaker for Hall Wines and Walt Wines out of California. Um, Hall, Catherine Hall Winery, fantastic stuff. If you've never tried any of it, the Baca line is all Zinfandels, uh, five or six of them completely different from the last. Um, but she is super fun, and I was very happy to grab her on the phone for just a second. So here it is, a segment I like to call Tick Five. Tick Five. Tick Five. Tick Five. Tick Five. Tick Five. Tick Hello. Hey, Allison? Yes, Mike. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I am awesome. Thank you for letting me call you for a minute. There. Absolutely. It's good to hear from you. The same. Um, so, uh, for everybody listening, this is Allison Fristel, which I'll probably give you a good introduction before we get to this. The uh, associate winemaker for Paul Walt and the head winemaker for Bunk Wines. And what I'm doing, so I don't know if you know this, but I started a new podcast recently. And actually, unlike all the other people I've called for this, you are a very special person for the podcast. Would you like to know why? Yeah. You are the person who influenced me to start a podcast. And you don't know this. That's so cool. So it was like um, three months ago when you were in town, and I I always like to record whenever a winemaker's in town so I can just have it on my phone, the whole spiel about it, um, just so I can go back and review it as opposed to taking notes the whole time. And then I, I was recording what you were saying, and then you and I had a really great conversation on the way back to the hotel, I think, after we did the event that night. And I was like, man, why don't I just record these things and put them on the air? So my entire podcast is unfortunately you haven't been on it yet but it's about me driving around in cars talking to winemakers and putting this stuff on the air so thank you so much for the idea that you didn't know you gave me that's super awesome (laughs) um so the part that i'm doing today um it's just uh it's a little segment um towards the end of the podcast uh where i just call it take five and i call somebody cool and ask them five quick questions so you up for it let's do it awesome all right i will say to people listening at home who are probably going to be mad about which questions I ask, uh, I do intend in the near future to get you to come back to South Carolina and do a full podcast. So I'm not asking questions that I intend to hit you up with when we actually have an interview. So these will just be some other questions that we might not hit on the interview. So okay. let's get started. So question number one. So we are in the second week of June. Um, where are we in the growing season? Where, where, what are the grapes looking like right now? 
Right now, the grapes mostly look like little BBs. So we've finished um, flowering, and this is what we call set, where the berries um, are starting to grow. And they're, awesome. they're green little green little BBs. And how long will it be before they look more like grapes that most people would be accustomed to? That'll be starting towards uh, mid to late July. Okay, so not too much longer. Yeah, yeah, they awesome. start growing fast. Is it is it early enough in the season for you to be able to tell if it looks like it's going to be a good season or high yield or low yield or? Yeah, it's starting to look like, well, the vines are really happy right now because we had a very wet and rainy May. So they have a lot of water. The canopy is really healthy. And um, you can tell that there's at least, you know, two clusters per shoot, which is normal. And they look pretty big. And they survived the spring. So flowering went really well. So there wasn't too much what we call shatter. All the little berries um are growing, so there weren't any that weren't pollinated. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it's good to yeah. hear. I look forward to hear more about it. Yeah. Um, all right. Question number two, we're going to get off track a little bit. Uh, when you, this is probably more of a, a pop quiz question, when you were in town a few months ago, you signed a bottle of Vodka Double Dutch Zinfandel for me. I would I like to that. know if you remember, <laughs> other than your name and the dates and whatnot, what you signed on the side of the bottle. I do, because you actually inspired me, too. I wrote uh, oh. something about to, uh, to geeky, geeky hipster winemaking. That's so exactly it's kind of like, it <laughs> it's my new slogan. It's kind of my mantra now, geeky hipster winemaking. How do we keep it fun? I, I love it. The, the bottle says, it says, peace, love, geeky hipster winemaking. That's oh, fantastic. I forgot the first part. No, you got the whole thing in there. I love it. Nice, nice. Uh, um, <laughs> let's see. Question number three. Man, this is going quick. Um, what do you love to do other than make wine? Oh, um, I love to work in the yard and the garden. Um, I like to just get my hands dirty, get in the soil, and it keeps me connected to the seasons and helps me understand what the grapes are doing more, too. Um, but we recently bought a house up on Howell Mountain in Napa Valley, and it has an acre and a quarter of land, which is mostly forested. So we have our own little piece of the watershed to rehabilitate, which is really cool. That's very cool. Yeah. And um, today I'm going to be doing some weed whacking, <laughs> which, which is <laughs> hard work, but uh, but uh, worth it for fire safety and keeping the yard looking good. But we're also going around and um, planting some native species back in the yard and, and cleaning it all up. So that just makes me happy. That's that's kind of perfect. So when you're not when you're not turning grapes into wine, you're out just in the fields and and guarding. You're you're in the same. It's in the same vein. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Connection to nature. And you're and you're on Howell Mountain. You guys make it. We we don't get it here, but aren't one of the Bacas are from Howell Mountain? That's right. It's from a vineyard called Black Sears, um, which is at 2,400 feet above sea level, which is pretty high for the Napa Valley. And it's and it's, in, it's all Zinfandel planted there, or they also plant cab. Um, uh -huh. This is a great spot for both varieties, um, and it's all forested, so it just it smells beautiful up here right now. It smells like bay laurel and pine and sage, all the sages in bloom. So the vineyard smells like that. It's really cool. And it's it's nine nine in the morning where you are. So first thing you wake up in the morning, you get to enjoy all that. 
Yeah. That's awesome. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, question number, gosh, are we on four? Question number four. All right. Let's see how this one goes. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we are now two months from the end of Game of Thrones. How are you coping? Ooh. Ooh, you know, <laughs> there was so much. That's a great. Oh wow, I love this one. <laughs> There's so much build up to it, and I'm coping by listening to people make fun of the last season. I thought it was. <laughs> so, so maybe it's like laugh therapy. That's, that's great. That's <laughs> but you know, the whole thing with Ghost and you know him leaving him without even saying goodbye and that sort of like yeah. yeah, without even petting him and that sort of thing. I was like, what are you guys doing? So just disappointed in, in lack of storyline. Um, there's a lot of uh, good Reddit stuff going on. And, oh, yeah, there's uh, memes for days. <laughs> I, I've met, I, this is the first time I've ever got into – I don't get into online arguments about anything because I think they're silly on almost everything. Um, but I got on this Daenerys Targaryen page or something, and people keep writing stuff. And I, I've gone into full-on defending Daenerys, and I think it's fantastic how uh, how heated everybody gets about all this stuff. Yeah, I heard about that where she uh, she has a, a charity organization. There's two like feuding Reddits, and one raised money for her, and the other didn't. So she oh, that's hilarious. Wow. one over the other now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. If it was me, I would stay out of all that online stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Personally. But, um, yeah, I found another show. It's not the same level, but kind of in the same vein. Um, I really like Neil Gaiman and his books. Uh-huh. Um, and so just, he has, just for uh, everybody who's listening, she's saying, saying the British pronunciation of Neil Gaiman. But it's oh. not like it's not like you might have said Neil Diamond, but you're talking about Good Omens, right? No, no, Neil. I just I said Gaiman, but you, I think you're right, Gaiman. Neil. Yeah, yeah. Or, when you said or, it, I was like, oh, Neil Diamond. Do you like Thank his you book? for <laughs> no, no. <laughs> thank you for clarifying. Uh-huh. Um, no, I started with Norse mythology, and then I read most of Good Omens, and now that's a show, which is. Which Are is you enjoying it? It's yeah, it's pretty entertaining and a little slow. But, I'm, yeah, I'm about good. I'm about episode three, and I think so far, but yeah, I'm enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. This is great. The, the first podcast I did to take five on, um, I asked the guest, and it was right after, um, it was like the day after season, the, the the last episode of Game of Thrones ended, and I said, you know, how you doing? And he's like, yeah, I don't watch that. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, my God. Um, all right, so number five, the final question is the question I call the stumper. And that's okay. uh, kind of a trivia question. And this one is uh, several parts to it. Um, so your tagline, um, maybe for life, uh, other than Kiki Hipster, um, <laughs> is um, for, for, your, for your Instagram, is proving millennials can make wine, not just drink it, which oh, yeah. I think is fantastic. <laughs> so as, as a fellow, I'm a, I'm a slightly older millennial, but as a fellow millennial, um, these are some things that millennials uh, have never heard of. And so I'm going to ask you some things, and you tell me if you have any idea what they are. I actually didn't know what most of the things on here were. Um, I love it because I'm an I'm an old millennial too, by okay. the way. I, yeah. think we're, I think we're technically um, zennials because I was born the year oh. Jedi came out, and I think if you're born within the Star Wars movies, like 77 yeah. to 83, I think you're a zennial. Um, oh, okay, but I, but I still I, claim I, millennial. I like millennial. I think we talked about this, and and this is a great. Uh, we'll see how I answer because I'm starting to think I I might need to think of a new kind of slogan for my Instagram because I might identify Gen X more than millennial. I'm not sure right now. I feel like mm-hmm. I get to choose. You know. Well, I, I think I'm right in the area where I could choose, but 
I, I like to choose um, millennial just because I I like to be part of the underdogs and hate all the people who are hating on millennials. Some of us, yeah. Um, I get everyone to market to me. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> All right. Well, here we go. Let's start with HR puffin stuff. Ooh, it sounds familiar. Um, it sounds like like old school hip hop, but I don't really know what it is. Do you you know what it sounds like to me? I also don't know what it is. Um, <laughs> to get that out of the way, um, it uh, it sounds like to me like it might have been. Um, uh, a stay puffed marshmallow like knockoff like oh. hr puff and stuff sounds like it could be a marshmallow but it's not it's neither of those or it's like puffy paint puffy paint would be my other guess oh puffy paint would be, it's not that either but that's not okay. that either. um <laughs> it is it was some bizarre um a tv show that came out in like the 70s um and hr puff and stuff was about a life-size dragon who's the mayor of living island and it sounds like it was one of those uh things that people would have written and or appreciated if they were in psychedelics but i don't actually know but that's, okay that's well one of them out there i didn't know that one i do i do i did like puff the magic dragon and that was oh, kind of yeah. a 70s thing no, yeah that's true. yeah i love that yeah and the song's always in my head all right. <laughs> Number two, a milk shoot. A milk shoot. Oh, man. Milk shoot. Wow. Mm. Maybe I am a millennial. <laughs> milk shoot. Oh, when like milk shoots out of your nose? Yeah. Oh, well, and you know what? Just to make it fair, I'll spell it for you. It's C H U T E, like parachute. Milk oh, shoot. like a shoot, like you slide down it or something? Yeah. Milk yeah. shoot. Yeah. A dance move? I don't know. <laughs> There is a dance move I found that I didn't write down. I think it was called Grog or something. But um, wow. but no, Milk Shoot, apparently, um, when you were getting, uh, back when there was actually a milk delivery guy, a lot of the houses actually had a little Milk Shoot outside that connected into the house where you would leave your old bottles and they would replace them and put new bottles in. Almost that's like a cat door, but just for that's milk. A, that's like a baby boomer thing, man. Yeah. Well, that's why <laughs> that's, we don't know it. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Number three. I'm almost done. Um, sea monkeys. This is the only one on here I actually knew, I think. Oh, yeah. They're the weird little aquarium creature that people would have as pets. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what they actually were? That's a um, as embarrassingly as it is, I'm a biologist, and I, I don't remember what kind of organism they, they were. They were brine shrimp. And you would, oh. you would say, I know it because of comic books. You would, you would send away, it'd be one of those things like getting x-ray glasses or whatever you could send away and they would send you your brine shrimp and you would just add water and the, the packet of food or something. And there would just be a little brine shrimp that would swim around. Were they dehydrated when they came? I think they were. That's crazy. I think they were. I don't know. I was sick. <laughs> <laughs> My pet br- sea monkey sounds cooler than brine shrimp. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Much it. It worked. It was also an episode of South Park is actually the other reason I know it. Uh, all oh right, we'll, we'll do this last one here, um, and uh, and then I'll let you go. But green okay. stamps. Are you familiar with green stamps? Green stamps. Also, I need to know the green back stamps. What What was that? Green back stamps. Green back stamps. Uh, wow. Again, drawing a blank. It's not something in my vocabulary. No, it's It's something that I remember from my childhood, but I think a lot of people. So they were things, they were, I think they were kind of. Like the precursor to the um, uh, the little cards that we use, where you um, 
you go to a, whether it's a grocery store and you have your card, you swipe so you can get a discount or all that stuff. Huh. Um, but it, but what these would do is like at grocery stores, gas stations. I remember Piggly Wiggly did it when I was growing up, and you would get a certain number of these little stamps depending on how much money you would buy, and you'd actually have the stamp like the Quicksaver book, and you would oh. you would uh, lick them and you would put them in there. And whenever you had enough, you could redeem them at other places for things. I remember that we would redeem them to go to see the movies. So whenever you had like eight pages or whatever, you got a free movie ticket just to huh. take the movie theater. But uh, was that was that regional or was that national? Oh, I didn't look on a. I looked on a national website, and they don't call they call it green stamps. They didn't call huh. it green back stamps. I think green back stamps might be a southern thing. Yeah. Um, but huh. uh, but yeah. I am I am slightly less millennial than you, according to the quiz I just made up. (laughs) 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 We're close, close. Well, either way, well, thank you so much for um, being on here. And also, uh, I did the the episode that you're actually tagging on to that your segment's on is with Steve Cook, and he um, is the owner of Saluda's Restaurant. And he actually features um, some wines from all three wineries. And he was actually the one that you were tasting with with me when we first, when I first started thinking about this whole podcast. So I thought oh, it was very cool. appropriate to, to tag you into his episode. Nice. But, the um, beginnings. The beginnings. Yeah. Right? And, you know, <laughs> 12 years from now when I'm famous and podcast, you started it all. Yeah, yeah. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy person and you've got to get back out in the garden. Um, totally. Just just tell me how do how do how do we listen to this? Where is it? It is. I'll send you a link, but it's called Ride Between the Wines, and you can listen uh-huh. anywhere, Spotify or iTunes or any of that kind of stuff. Cool. Love okay, it. Cool. Well, thanks very much. And um, question number seven: When are you going to come into my market again? Ooh. Well, uh, let's let's try for next year, man. Sold. You name a date, I I will have a spot in my car for you. Maybe when it's like a little warmer there. Then I can go to the beach. Warm right here? Oh, you know, yeah. It's, it's like, plenty hot right now. You want to wait till it's cooler. Like, well, when I was We're there, it was a little cold. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking April. Yeah. 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 April, April, May would be perfect. Yeah. We'll do that. Awesome. All right. Well, have an awesome one. Thanks so much. You too. Bye, Mike. Bye. Anyways, yeah, that's enough about fast food. Let's talk about uh, travel. You love traveling. Love to. Where where have you been? Uh, where are you going next? What's um, let's see. I love the Bahamas. We love uh, we love the Bahamas. I would move there tomorrow if I could. My wife insists that we keep the kids in school and do not just move to the Bahamas and let them sell beads on the beach is what I would probably prefer. But I uh, love the Bahamas. Love Napa. We go to Napa. We go to you know, San Fran and Napa. It seems like about once every year to eighteen months. Um, and you know we just. Start, try to take off a lot of spots. There's just so many places to travel. We haven't done a whole lot of Europe stuff because we got little kids and it's hard to, you know, pull out. Although I did have a regular customer one time. She kind of made me feel like a terrible parent. We were going to Disney World. Uh-huh. And anybody who's ever gone to Disney World and done it like the right way, you know, not, not the right way, but the, you know, the expensive way, staying on property and all that. Right. I could have easily taken my family to Paris for 10 days and you know gone to the Louvre and whatever and she was like yeah we didn't go to Disney World um, I just took my kids to Tuscany for two weeks and I was like ah yeah that probably would be better for their overall development but 
you know, it's something about, you know, making my kids happy that, you know, right. yeah, that, it's, you know I like as well. We talk now about I'd Disney rather theater. go to Tuscany, yeah. but back then I'm sure I would have rather gone to Disney. But they get a chance to do some stuff that I never did when I was a kid. I mean, my family traveled a little bit, but it was more like on a cruise ship or something where you knock off a bunch of places, but you didn't, I didn't go to Cancun or go to Cozumel or go to the Cayman Islands. I, I was on a cruise ship and cruised by there and got off during the day. We, we, you know, we love to go, like, we went to Eleuthera not too long ago, so tiny little island in the Bahamas, and just, it's just, just an awesome sort of experience, and the kids get to, to do that stuff, and then my wife and I travel, we go to New York a lot as well, so I would say that, you know, we probably are going to New York once a year, and San Francisco, Napa once a year, and then try to sprinkle in a tropical location in there as well. I have a really serious travel problem. Like, I, I, I mean, I probably spend more, twice as much time Googling and researching stuff from the trip I'm about to take as I do actually on the trip. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. I absolutely agree. What's, uh, so, uh, I guess we should talk about wine. Uh, Napa, uh, what do you do there? Well, yeah, you're in there. Napa, we've got a lot of places that obviously that we have relationships with and we've served their wines. I kind of tend to gravitate more towards places that I've served their wines for years. You know, places like Simi, places like Paul. Uh, there's an Italics is a place that we're really, uh, that just, you know, we've stayed on the property a couple times and I almost feel like I like to give love Get because we go out there, it's all calm. I'm sure you're there right, yeah. the same way. It's all yeah. free and they, you know, we, they treat us like, you know, just the most highest level of hospitality we get and I just feel like it's better it's almost disingenuous if I go somewhere and I'm like yeah I've never served for once don't even care give me you know give them this tasting or whatever and uh, I love going to places where we've served the wine for years and I can actually bring back a story and, I, and it really does make me feel better to be able to go to a table and say yes I love this wine I just met the wine maker I was just at the vineyard I just you know I know these it's not just like yeah, I read the back of the label. Let me tell you about it. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, you have such a vested interest in it once you go out there. And I mean, there's a. I think we talked about before, but there's a million different things about wine that are amazing. It tastes good. It's part of the, the companionship. You know, there's such a historical side to it. For me, it's the stories. Yeah. Like yeah, every wine is, you know, from the people who scrapped up their last couple of cents and their life savings they poured into something that was probably going to fall flat in their face or to the people who Trimbach, this is generation 15 was just born, you know and these, this is what my father did what my father did, I don't know it's that stuff's crazy, agree that, that, that stuff's crazy to me, and, and I mean, you know it's certainly a European sort of uh, maybe not European necessarily, but well, certainly, not, long, certainly right? not an American style thing who does the same thing as their parents? Not very many people. Right. I mean, there's a, there's a few wineries that are like that uh, in California or Oregon, and then you know maybe you know a guy whose dad was a doctor and he's a doctor and his granddad was a doctor, and you know. But for the most part, people are just so divergent here, and there's just there's something that is really really admirable about a family continuing that. Is that that whole institutional knowledge thing? It's like I know how to do this because I was told. When I was seven years old, my grandfather started telling me about it, how to do this, and then my dad did it, and now I'm doing it. Um, you know, one of the best things that hooked us about wine country, we were out in, in Pride. Uh, Pride Mountain is a, it sits straddling the border of Sonoma and Napa, and uh, we were up there, and they were just so nice. Family-owned place. The guy sticks around because he hears I'm coming. He doesn't know who I am. Uh -huh. He knows I'm from South Carolina. He knows we have his wines with us. Sticks around talks to me a little bit and then on the way out 
son, who is like eight, are in the, on a tractor going around, and I was like, what's going on over there? I was this little kid out here. And the, you know, the lady giving us a tour was like, oh, that's the winemaker's son, and he's teaching him. And I was just like, that is amazing. amazing. Yeah. And you know, it, it's just, it really is, you know, the wine is a lot more than just, you know, a lot of people just, oh, you pour it in a glass, there's, there's the liquid that I'm gonna drink. But it's just like, it, you know, it goes back to where it was grown, the family, and how the property was acquired, how they farmed it, all the, the wineries ups and downs over the years. And it really is more of a, a story than anything. It's why it's wine, being a wine drinker or wine fan, whatever you want to call it, it's really more of a social, cultural thing than it is like people who are really into, I don't want to make fun of craft beer drinkers or whatever, you know, like craft beer is like, oh, you know, Wine is just more, it's historical also. It is. You know, like, I mean, there's the Romans, like, spread or, wine. Yeah, it's yeah, like, you know, the vines. one of the first things that human beings wrote down was how to make wine, and well, that was beer as well. That but was like, beer. yeah, but you know, it's like, it, it just brings people sort of together, and, uh, you know, I enjoy that part of it, even though I do most of my drinking by myself. I'm just kind of joking about that. <laughs> It is. I, I think that's. I think it's. Wine's just so interesting. How many different people are passionate about it, and which things they're passionate about too. Like the the stories, the historic side to me is awesome. But then there's people who study biology. I think it's awesome. There's yeah. farmers who study the land. I think. I mean, it's. Uh... One of the things I think that you know, the internet has changed everything, right? But obviously, it's changed a lot about restaurants because there. It's hard to be a hole in the wall, right? Like if you're really good gets out and you know you can go to San Francisco and find out what the best place for dim sum is yeah you've never been you didn't have to know somebody in the neighborhood um, but you can kind of find out and it, it, it is it has I think that people for the most part take an active they, they want to eat at in small independently owned creative restaurants now that doesn't always happen, you know. I mean, people say that, and I have found this to be true in a lot of circumstances, and not just about my restaurant. People will go to a fine dining restaurant and have a so-so meal or a bad experience or uh -huh. whatever, which happens, right? I mean, right. You know, nobody bats That's a thousand. Okay. I'll never be back. I'll ne I'm going to tell everybody to avoid this place, and I'm just... I can't believe it. You've ruined my night. Okay. How many times have you gone to a chain place and had a bad experience? You know, like you go to Starbucks, they mess your drink up, or you go somewhere or whatever. Yet people continue to give those places the goodwill or whatever. And I think it's almost, it's one thing that, that I've noticed that people, I, you know, they, they tend to have a shorter rope sometimes with, with, with places. And, uh, you know, I, I, I frankly, people ask me all the time, oh, you must be really picky when you go out to eat actually the exact opposite because I know how difficult it is for things to go right for for everything to go right right and you know there restaurants aren't like going into Dick's Sporting Goods and buying an Under Armour shirt you know where there's only a couple things that's all you're looking for right restaurant especially fine dining restaurants when we're going for special occasions or, or important dinners or whatever the valet can screw you up the hostess can can be mean the right. server might be forgetful. The food might not be as good as you wanted it to be. The, the chair might be rickety. The table, you know, 
any one of those things. I've heard a million different things of like why everything was so good, but this one part just did not meet your expectations. And it, it's like, well, it's pretty freaking hard. You yeah. know, it's it's pretty hard to pull all that together. And when I go to a restaurant and everything is a 10, it's just an unbelievable experience that I, I just almost, it's almost unbelievable because something's got to go wrong, right? right? And I think that I've probably, that's probably happened to me like four or five times my whole life. You know, because you go to a place and even, you know, I've been to some of the, the, the best restaurants in the country and uh, my server was inattentive for a little bit or one course was you know, way too salty or whatever. I didn't go, I can't believe this place. It's supposed to be a five-star restaurant and the pork is salty? I, what? Give me your manager's name. I'm writing a Yelp review. You know, I, it's just, I just can't believe people live their lives like that. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I'm sort of grateful for all the restaurant experiences I have, you know, even if they're unique, you know, especially when you're going to a place that you've really looked forward to going to for a long time. It's a special dinner. And, you know, make it a, it's making a memorable night. If you don't enjoy the people you're with, that's what that's what those experiences are about. Right. You go out on a date with your wife and you have an unbelievable time with your wife. And as long as somebody doesn't punch me in the face while I'm having dinner, I'm going to have a good time. Right. I agree. Absolutely. So, anyway, that was a long tangent. I don't even know what we were talking about. What was the question? I, I don't know. Maybe social media. It was a long this was a long uh long car ride. <laughs> well, so, you want to know what my very first Yelp experience is? I do. It's, it's very brief and probably not worth me telling the story, but I just remember I was at the restaurant and there was an unusually long wait at the host stand for some reason. And uh, I guess the, the hosts had misquoted how long this particular group was going to have to wait. And I walked up there uh, to just do my manager thing and say, hey guys, we're working on it, we're cleaning whatever. And the guy looks at me and he says, I've been waiting here however long. I smell a bad Yelp coming your way. <laughs> and I had never heard of Yelp. And so I looked at him and I was like, alright, thank you, I'm going to go get your table clean. And I had to go ask somebody later what the hell a Yelp was because I was like, I have no idea what I just got threatened with. Oh. But this guy seemed pretty upset about it. Yeah, I don't, uh, reviews are interesting, right? Like, you cannot shut them out because it's just like your life experience, right? Like, you don't really learn anything from a guy who says on a review, oh my God, we had dinner at Saluda's and it was amazing. Our server was excellent, the food was wonderful, and such a great, you know, ambiance. Right. That makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. You like to read that, but it does not help you improve your business in any way. Um, when you read something like, everything was good, but my server was inattentive and I wish he would have been over there more, whatever, as an example. Yeah. Okay, well, cool. Do we need to look into that? Who was your server? What did, well, are we not doing things correctly? But when you get a Yelp review, like, they, I asked for ketchup and they did not have it on the premises. I will not be back to such a stuffy establishment. Okay, I, 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 I've got nothing to do with that review. I, right. I don't, I, it's trash to me. I, it doesn't mean anything. There's another way I'm going to improve it. You know, it, it is what it is. Wait, and, do you guys not have ketchup? We do not have ketchup. Sometimes we have ketchup, but like we bring in ketchup sometimes to make For a, a cocktail sauce or something. Oh, right? Yeah. It's gone. We don't have raw ketchup sitting around. Um, ketchup's fine. It's great. We don't have it. I don't have everything. You know, I don't, I don't have A1 either. Right. But 
Nothing wrong with restaurants that do. Fine. But, you know, I, I had a couple of bad... <laughs> you shouldn't post this. People start going... <laughs> going to find reviews. the review. <laughs> so we had two people review this weekend. One person um, posted that this is the third time I've been. And they... Each time, they could not seat me because I did not have a reservation. Don't waste your time. Uh, now, they've turned me away three times. Okay. Make a reservation yeah. then. Did you I, not learn by the second time? It should, what does that review even do? I mean, you know, in a perfect world. Congratulations I mean, for all the business. Yeah, right. It's like, uh, I wanted to reply like, I am so glad when I, you know, am so that booked I, had I can't take well. Yeah. I mean, no, what, what places... I remember when we first bought the restaurant. They were, it was, it was, it had been kind of run down a little bit and did not have the greatest reputation. And, you know, we had people, after a couple years, we were busy. And, you know, you couldn't just walk in there any day and get a table. And we had people who told us they weren't coming back. I used to be able to come here and get my favorite table every night, you know. And it's like, well, what do you want me to? I cannot be a restaurant for a very small group of people. Right. Like, and 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 I hear, I've heard the same thing about. I won't name anybody. I've heard other people in Colombia that, oh, it's not as good as it used to be. It's just, it's like, well, that's just because it's not as slow as it used to be. And you should want places to be busy and, and good and succeed. Uh, yeah. So, I, yeah, I, reviews. I, I really liked them. I actually really love to see servers specifically mentioned in reviews. Uh, that makes me happy. Because if you know, if you if the server made enough of an impact on you in a positive way, for you to mention their name in the review like that, that just means that our people are doing really, really well. I don't remember anybody's name. I mean, I I'm terrible about that. But if a person to me you know, takes enough time to do that, I really it really makes a difference to me, and, and it makes me sort of proud of our guys. But for the most part, those neg negative reviews that give you no substance, it's just like, oh, I went there and it's. You know, I'll, I'll see people posting. Oh, the prices are too expensive. It's like, where where are you used to going? You know, I don't. That's a that, that doesn't tell anybody anything. So anyway, uh, reviews for the most part are you got it. You got to monitor it. You got to kind of be cognizant of what people are saying. If I, I, if everybody's telling you that this dish is too salty, well, it's too salty. Right. It doesn't matter what you think or right. the chef thinks. So anyway, it's part of the being a very adaptive restaurant that I like to think we are. We evolve constantly. And, um, you know, listen to feedback is the most important, important part. It doesn't matter what we think. It matters what the guests think. Right. They're paying. But out of interest, I feel like you said you had two reviews this weekend. What was the other one? Did you? That was the yeah, so, reservation. Right. Oh, God. I mean, it's, this, might, this minutia of this might get... So this guy makes a reservation. Uh, we were extremely busy. Packed online reservation, right? So we don't know who these people are. They're graduation weekend. Yeah, graduation weekend. So I'm, we, we called. Called them three times, left three messages over the course of the week. Then we text message. I've got this little template text message we sent out. Most people are cool with that because uh -huh. people communicate. I actually find that people are much more responsive to a text message than a phone message. Yeah. No response. So we canceled the reservation. It was made like two. We didn't think the guy was going to come. And he posted his reservation was for Saturday night at 730 at four o'clock on Saturday, he posts a review. They canceled my reservation without telling me and I can't believe it, blah, blah. So like I posted a reply, I'm like, we called you three times, we tried to text to confirm. We're just Listen, we, your reservation wasn't even for three hours. Feel free to come in. Like we don't usually communicate with our guests via Google. Yelp, yeah. But um, you know, it just, 
people that leave bad reviews that come in the restaurant. No, they didn't. and I, I call them back. I text them and again, hey, you're more than we'd love to have. Yeah, I don't want people to. I don't, you know, I want everybody to come in. And, it's just one of those things that people just kind of people don't understand parts of it, you know. And that's reservations fine. are. So reser- there's so many different things I think if you never worked and I'm sure if you never worked in retail I don't know what other things are but but if you've never worked in a restaurant there's so many different things that you take for granted and don't understand but reservations are by far one of the worst ones. yeah it's it's frustrating because people get mad at you you know if you have a 7:30 reservation on Friday night do you think that I'm gonna wait, that table's gonna be empty until 7:30? I mean, if it right. is, the restaurant's probably not one you want to go to all the time. And you know, if a person's sitting there and waits a long, we do our absolute best. And the last thing I want to do is not see people on their reservation time. But it happens. It's just like going to a hotel and your room's not quite ready yet. Right. You can, and people do, have a fit in the lobby and demand something for free. You can do that, yeah. or you can go, huh? Well, that's unfortunate. I'll wait a little bit. You know, now if your reservation is two hours late or that, right. you know, that's a different story. But I just sometimes I think that people don't understand that we're all human beings. Like things are not things don't. You think I wanted the table to linger longer than they are? I, I wanted everybody to get up on time too. And they do get mad about that. They yeah. they will they will act like you don't know what you're doing. Right. Because you know, and then a lot of people will show up early. And then it's like, why isn't my table ready? It's like, well, it's not even reservation time, yet, right? You know. So anyway, it's it's uh, we. I say that, and, and you know, I hope it doesn't come across like that's some kind of a huge problem. But we, well, we, we do thousands of reservations a week, and it's 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 like one out of a hundred, maybe less than that. And and you know, most of the time, people are people are usually really really nice. But if you've been out in the world before, whether you've gone to the mall or any a park or any. You're gonna bump into some weirdos. Yeah, that's just kind of a fact of life. So, well, well, you know what I was so the side of the reservations. I wasn't even thinking about how people don't understand how they actually work. Once you get to the restaurant, but I was I never realized this until I talked to people. I guess who don't work in restaurants, but but people will way overshoot. So how many people are we gonna have tonight? Uh, yeah. We're gonna have eight. Let's just say ten, just to be safe. Yep. You know, that's a weird one. And then multiple reservations are weird to me. Like you'll have several, you'll make reservations at several different places to see what you can get, and then you won't cancel because we don't. I mean, do you guys take credit cards for reservations? No, that kind we of stuff? some like Valentine's Day and stuff like that. We do. It's, it, it becomes incredibly cumbersome to have to take a credit card number for every single thing, and people get weird about that. I don't want to keep your. I don't want people's credit card numbers. Right. Frankly, I don't want to charge you for not showing up. We, we took credit card numbers for graduation. I had three or four people that didn't show up. I didn't charge anybody, but. You know, a couple people called us back. They're like, I am so sorry. I had whatever come up. It's more about, like, I just want you to show up. And I, I heard a, uh, a guy at the bar. He had a reservation. He came in early, and he sat at the bar and called three restaurants. I heard it. Called three restaurants and canceled his reservation. And I almost wanted to be like, you know what? Your reservation is canceled here, too. Get out. <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm not the reservation police. Uh, there was a restaurateur in town one time that, Said we should put together a list of people who constantly know show for reservations, but it's just not feasible. It just it's no. not feasible, and and frankly, you know, I think it's part of uh, just part of the, the business. And, and I know certain, you know, there's some restaurants you can't make a reservation specifically for a large party without having you know a credit card on file. I don't care if people 
call me an hour before and bump from eight to six. Uh-huh. Doesn't bother me. I, dude, if I have, if I try to get 10 of my friends together, the chances all 10 of them actually show up when they say they're going to is, is right. It's just, it is what right, it is. Right. But to show up or to not call, you know, it's just, it just kind of, that's the reason why there's so many problems with your reservation. It's not because the restaurant's actively trying to mess up their own business. Yeah. It's because there's a million variables out there. And, you know, it, it, again, I, it's kind of like when airlines, you know, and I know everybody has no sympathy for airlines because we've all had a bad experience. But good Lord, how do they even get one plane off the ground right, on time? Yeah. And, and to come in there and be like, I can't believe the plane's delayed. You can't? How can you not believe that? Do you leave your, I mean, it, 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 I, again, just like it, when I go to restaurants and it all goes perfectly, I'm shocked. I'm like, this is amazing that everything it went perfectly. Like, it should amaze people that things actually go according to plan. I want to sometimes say, where do you work? <laughs> where do you work? Oh, you're in an insurance broker. Okay. Have you ever not sent back an email on time? Has anything fell between them? I mean, I can't imagine there's anybody that their job is done perfectly 100% of the time. Yeah. And, you know, restaurants are one of those, it's one of the last places on earth, it seems like, where, for the most part, the customer's always right in the sense if you order something and you say you don't like it, they're not going to charge you for it. Yeah. You know, and I can't tell you how many times I've ordered something and not liked it. Oh, yeah, of course. I don't say a word. It, you know, I mean, now if it is incredibly salty or the fish is undercooked or something. Okay, whatever. I get it. You got to send that back, right? Or you can get something else. But if you ordered pickled okra carpaccio and it didn't quite taste good to you, well, I'm sorry, man. You ordered pickled okra carpaccio. Now, I hope that's a made-up dish that nobody's ever done. But, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I think it's weird to me that people would kind of go, eh, you know, it's not exactly what I expected, so I want something different. But that doesn't happen very often either. Um, you know, I always get on to our servers a lot of times for dwelling more on the negative than the positive, whether it's a bad tip or a bad experience. Mm-hmm. Don't spend 20 minutes talking about this customer who was difficult when you didn't spend 20 minutes talking about the customer who was amazing, amazing. who yeah. we have way more of. And, and I, that's probably, again, just like everything else in life, you tend to dwell on the, the negative experiences more than the positive. But, you know, we did, you know, however many covers this past week and I could count on one hand the number of, of even questionable things that people were didn't like or whatever and, and I think that's amazing yeah that, that you could pull that off because I've been to restaurants where almost nothing goes right the entire meal and uh, you know that's that's when it's like you're just like holy cow this is they have no idea. I, I feel like I can walk into a restaurant and look around for one minute and tell you if the food's going to be any good. I, I really do. I feel like I could. I would like to do. I would like to do a TV show like that one day. I could just walk in. So I, okay, this is going to be good because whether it's the staff running around like they don't know what they're doing, or or the organization of it, or you know whatever, you know, if you're not in a place where people are happy to be there, where the staff is genuinely likes their job you're probably not going to have a good experience and that's whether it's a whether it's a suit store or a or a, a restaurant or a hotel um, you know you can, that that's the vibe we always try to put off as a welcome I always try to think of it like if you were having a, your your 
your friend's parents over for dinner at your house. Wouldn't you make sure the bathroom's clean? Wouldn't you make sure that everything was in order and nothing, you know, the tables were all just so and you had put a lot of care into the menu you were gonna present? And like, I feel that way about every night we open the restaurant. It's like, this is, people are, they can eat anywhere. Anywhere, there's a million options now. Yeah. They're coming to eat with us and spending, you know, all their, mon their, their money and their time is even more important than money, you know? Uh, especially, we have so many people that come in for special occasions and birthdays and graduations and business dinners, whatever. And it's a night that they always will remember. No matter, it doesn't matter for, for us necessarily, but we're a part of it. We had a proposal at the restaurant last night. We had three proposals this week. And part of you wants to be like, oh, my, this guy, he wants us to do something special. We're busy as hell. I gotta stop what I'm doing. He's gonna ask the server to take a million pictures. And you could think about it like that, or you could think about it, holy cow, how lucky are we? Yeah. We are gonna be able to take part in something that this person will literally remember for the rest of their lives. I also love proposals, because it usually means I get at least one visit a year from them <laughs> on their anniversary. And that's dozens of people um, have over the years. It could be a hundred people I've seen propose. Um, at the that's, restaurant. That's amazing. I've that's seen awesome. the restaurant stop what it's doing and give them a, a standing, you know, applause and people send them champagne and it really is a is a cool thing. And that happens with us every day. It, it, yeah, it could be a proposal or it could just be you're trying to close a business deal or you're trying to take your wife out for, you know, a special a special meal or you're trying to take your kid out for his birthday. Um, you know, that, that that is something that I think a lot of restaurant people can gloss over and become numb to. Oh, I got another birthday. Ugh. It's like, this guy's birthday. He wanted to spend it here. It's really, it's really a cool thing. And uh, yeah, anyway. I love that. I don't think, I don't think I've ever considered that. Yeah. Well, I have. And um, it makes me feel good. And, you know, I know how sharp that sword's edge is where I, I've, I use golf analogy, analogies a lot because I play golf, but it's kind of like your yard, right? Um, or, or a golf course. It takes you years to curate this beautiful landscaped, you know, yard, right? Mm -hmm. You can destroy it in a week. Just ignore it and it will literally, and then it'll take you years to build it back. And I feel like the restaurant is that, I mean, we are more successful financially today than we've ever been. Uh, we're busier than we've ever been. And it would be easy to kind of go, Woo, we're doing the right things and, you know, this is great. Um, I'm going to take more time off because I people are obviously doing it. Or you view it as you really got to keep the pedal to the metal because now we're doing 20% more, more business, more covers, whatever. These people will become our ambassadors in the future. We don't, no, we don't spend a bunch of money on advertising. I mean, there's, there's no billboards up in town or ads on the, on the news. Nobody looks at that kind of crap anyway. Um, the best thing we can do is you can come there for your dinner and then leave and tell 10 people how great it is. And that's how we've been successful and thrived. And that's what we continue to try to, to nurture, you know. And, you know, again, we spend a bunch of time talking about the problem tables or the problem customers or whatever. But the people that drive your business in a positive way are, are your, your best customers. And again, that's why people think the restaurant business is some kind of crazy, weird business. It's really not. I really don't think it's fundamentally different than satisfying your customers as a real estate agent or a wine salesman uh -huh. or any, you know, it's, 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 you know, do a good job and present the best possible product you can. 
That's awesome. I agree. Is that, well, is I, that think it's, I think it's I think that's a solid place for us to end. So uh, yeah, not to mention we're a couple blocks from my house. Yeah, well, <laughs> GPS says three minutes, so we're good. Um, well, thanks again so much. Yeah, thank you. Um, Enjoyed it. Thanks for you, everything today. It was a good time. Yeah, I had a great time. If you if you've never been to Saludas, please visit Saludas. Um, I you know one thing that you were saying that I just wanted to mention was that you were talking about walking to a restaurant and seeing how much everybody enjoys working there and what a positive uh, impact it has and for one reason or another you invited me this year to the, the to your staff christmas party sure and uh so sheila and i came out to it and i i had such a great time that i felt like i had to write this ridiculous cheesy post the next day about it uh because it was such you guys are such a or, or at least to outside of school, such a close-knit community everybody was so happy for the christmas party the number of crazy inside jokes that i'm sure i had no idea what was going on with the entire night long um it's just people happy and, and you can just tell that all of them uh they take a little ownership over the restaurant they really care about what they're doing and the fact that you seem like you don't have a huge uh, front of the house or back of the house turnover speaks volumes to that as well you know I know a lot of these servers have been there for years so. well it's important to me that people enjoy working for me for us and you know I, I, I feel a responsibility to make sure it is a good and I, and I don't think it's just for oh I love my employees I mean it's selfish as well I want them to be enjoy their job so they do a great job and uh, again not too different from fundamentally from a lot of other businesses and Thank you for saying that. And that really does mean a lot because I, you know, we're all working and doing our job for money, right? But if you also enjoy it and if you're able to bring other positive things to other people's lives, that's probably the thing that makes me sleep the best at night. Yeah. It's not, you know, how much money we made this year. It's that we have so many great relationships in the community, whether it's customers, employees, whatever. And thanks, Mike, for you being one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All right, we're going to wrap up here. But yeah, thanks, man. This that was awesome. You got it, brother. Thanks for doing it twice, too. Yes, sir. <laughs>